Well, once again, um, if you uh, just walked in, my name's Dean. We're thrilled that you're here with us today. We're going to continue on today in our series called uh, Labels. Um, we're looking at the Gospel of Luke in this series. We read it through in May. We prayed it through uh, in June. Now we're going to focus on uh, living it out um, over these last couple of months as we, as we finish the Gospel. Now, one of the things um, that we've talked about in this series, right, the Gospel calling us to a life above labels. The reason that's important is because as we kind of walk our way through this world, um, we kind of apply labels to ourselves sometimes. Other people apply labels to us, but we want to get back to what I said earlier, that Imago Day, that image of God that we were born with. That's why Jesus left heaven, came to earth, died on a cross, was resurrected on the third day, was to restore us to right relationship uh, with God. So he made amends for our sins so that we could come back into personal relationship with God. So we don't want those labels to become limits, to become boundaries in our, uh, in our relationship with God. So I just want to remind you as we start today of some of the things that we have talked about um, during the series. Um, number one, our lives are supposed to be one big thank you note, right? Um, living a life of entitlement where we think we deserve this and we deserve that and we deserve it. It's just, it's a miserable kind of life to lead. A lot of us are looking for a perfect life instead of the Christ life. And in the Christ life, what happens is that God uses the imperfections of this world, even our own imperfections, to shape us to look more like Jesus, which then allows us, as we become more like Christ, which allows us to become boldly, right, into his presence. So the gospel makes us humble and bold all at the same time. We're humbled by our sin, but the fact that Jesus has loved us uh, so well, has died for us, um, that, makes us, that makes us bold in the way that we can then approach God, not on the basis of who we are, but on the basis um, of who Jesus is, which means that no prayer that we pray is ever uh, it's ever wasted, right? God either answers the prayers that we make or he answers the prayers that we should have made because he's our intercessor. He fixes those prayers um, on, the way, on the way up. So as you read through a book of the Bible, there are times where uh, you come up against more difficult passages uh, of Scripture. And so as we were reading through the Gospel of Luke, I got a couple of emails uh, from you, got a couple of messages, and you were asking, what is up with Luke 16? Like, that is a crazy, crazy chapter. So we're going to look at the end of Luke 16 in a couple of weeks. Today, this morning, we are going to look at the beginning of Luke 16, verses 1 through 13. And I've asked part of our core team uh, to join me uh, this morning to talk about uh, how you read through the scriptures, how you interpret different kinds of text uh, into the context um, of, your own, of your own life. Um, I have uh, Jeff Huff over here and Beth Fields, um, and we're going to jump into this, uh, to this difficult, sometimes difficult uh, to interpret text, this, uh, to figure out how, um, when you come up against this, what do you do? What do you do when you don't understand um, a part um, or a portion uh, of Scripture? So, Thanks to both of you uh, for, uh, for joining me today. Um, and let's start off, let's talk about a pair. Luke 16, right? It's two different parables. Um, we're going to talk about the one that comes first, right? In Luke 16, 1, uh, 1 through 13. So why is it important to know what you're reading, what kind of literature you're reading in the Bible, and um, what's a parable, and what makes it unique? Jeff and I have talked about this a lot the past couple weeks, and 
Luke 16 is a parable, and parables are stories that Jesus uses to teach us lessons. So it's not necessarily something we take literally, but something that we read and we learn from the lesson that Jesus is teaching us. Like, for example, we have some LifePoint kids in here today. It's kind of like when your parents tell you a story to teach you a lesson. Like when I was growing up, my mom used to always say, Beth, if you tell a lie, you're gonna get a black dot on your tongue. And so I would maybe be untruthful and I would run to the mirror and I would stick my tongue out to see if there was a black dot and quickly I learned, oh, she's telling me a story to teach me a lesson. Or even think about Pinocchio. Like we used to always tell our kids that story and how his nose would grow every time he would tell a lie. Sometimes as a kid, I would like touch my nose to see if it was growing. I must have been an untruthful person. <laughs> but those are, those are kind of what Jesus is doing, telling stories to teach us lessons, not that we take it literally. So now everyone who talks to you is going to stare at your mouth. Yeah, right. They're going to look tongue. for the, yeah, they're a look black for the dot. black dot right. to tell yes. the truth yes. or not. Now, when somebody hears you say that, they're going to hear you say, wait a minute, did you just say we're not supposed to take the Bible literally? Right? Yeah. They're going to hear that word. And so what does she mean by that, Jeff? I think that, I think what we have to understand for me is, you know, these short stories that these parables have in them, they're just chock full of metaphor. Mm -hmm. They're, they're uh, you know, sometimes Jesus uses hyperbole. Right. He exaggerates for effect. Um, you know, there's times that, um, I mean, there, there are so many analogies that he uses. Yeah. I think what, what I have to do is when I come to these stories, and by the way, there, there are 34 parables in the synoptic gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke alone. And I think that what happens in these parables is that um, Jesus only interprets about 10% of those parables. He only interprets three. So what we have to do, I think, is guard against, and what I have to do is when I'm reading a parable especially, is guard against the fact that I come into it with a what's-in-it-for-me approach first. Because if I do that, if I'm looking for the right answer and then wanting to protect that answer for the rest of my life, if I come in with that approach, I may miss the interpretation of what that parable actually meant to that original audience in the first century. Yeah, so whenever we read the parable, it's important to understand that Jesus tells a story, right, with a point at the end. And the point is the important part, right? A lot of times we get lost, we get caught in the narrative portion of it. And we, and what you were speaking to earlier, it's, it's not that we don't say that the whole Bible is literal. We absolutely believe that. We believe it's all true. But the point of telling the story means that all of the points in the narrative, it was a story. Jesus made the story up. But the important part typically comes right at the end and that's the part that kind of grabs you, that you want to pay attention. So as we read through with a, with a parable like the one we're going to look at today, um, it's probably the most confusing parable. I, I think it's the most confusing parable that Jesus, that he ever tells. Um, so that said, um, let me read, I'll just read the parable and, um, and we'll jump in uh, from there. Luke chapter uh, 16, and we'll look at verses 1 through 8. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man, your translation may say owner, okay? So we're gonna call him Owen, all right? Owen is the owner. 
um, whose manager, and again, your translation, it may say steward, same thing, so we're gonna call him Stu. So Owen is the owner, Stu is the manager or the steward, was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. Okay, so here's the, the basic narrative. Um, Owen owns a company, Stu works for Owen, right? Stu is doing a poor job of managing the company. So Owen calls Stu in and he fires him. He's like, we're gonna have an audit and we're gonna find out exactly how you've been bleeding this company um, of, of financial resources um, and, and you're fired. So the manager, Stuart, said um, to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called, um, he called in each of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil. He replied, uh, he replied, and the manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 450. Okay, a little bit of context in their world. In Hebrew uh, community, they were, not, uh, they were not supposed to charge one another interest in loaning money that was pretty much outlawed in their community. However, to get around that, what business owners would do is they would build um, that into the cost of supplies. So for example, olive oil, um, it took a lot not only to extract olive oil, but to preserve it. So they would typically charge a 100% markup on olive oil. So um, when Stu gets fired, he goes to the people who owe Owen, the owner, and he says, hey, how much, how much do you owe? Well, he says, I owe 900 gallons of olive oil. And he says, well, just change your bill. Just change it to 450. So basically what he's doing is he's giving him a 50% discount on probably what was a, you know, a large, large markup. So you can imagine how the guy who owed 900 gallons of olive oil felt pretty good, right, about that. Um, pick it back up. Uh, then he asked a second, how much do you owe? Um, a thousand bushels of, of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. Again, big time discount. The master commended, then the master, Owen, commended the dishonest manager, Stu, because he had acted, and here's the key word in the parable, shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. Mm -hmm. All right, so that's the parable. Talk about the tension. What's the tension in the parable? I think for me, it helps to look at the events in sequential order. So you've got the manager who was careless, very careless. I mean, it says he's accused of wasting the rich man's possessions. Then he loses his job. Then he becomes very careful. And, and you know, he's decreasing these people's debt, something he probably could have done when he worked for the rich man. You know, he's managing the money, he can increase, decrease debt. So he quickly starts becoming very careful and he's commended for being shrewd in his dealings with the people and decreasing debt. And shrewd in our Western culture, it means that you are 
severe, you're hard, you're, you're even mischievous and dangerous. Like shrewd is not a good word in our culture. But when you look at it in the Greek, it's actually a really powerful word. It's phronimos. Can I say that good? He's the Greek expert, phronimos. And it means it's, that it's acting with great practical intelligence. So it's a really good thing, being shrewd, in the Greek sense of the word, mm -hmm. not so much the Western word. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, so, so I'm going to take a little different route. You, yeah. knew, you knew I'd do that. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. We've been talking about this for weeks. Yeah, we have, and I can tell you something, folks. If you're wrestling with this mm -hmm. parable, you are normal. Yeah. Because I can say that scholars for centuries have struggled with this parable. Because if you come at it again with that approach of what's in it for me, you could take away, wow, is it okay for me as a disciple of Jesus to be unethical? Am I supposed to, you know? So I think the tension for me in the parable is the ambiguity around did the steward act shrewdly? Did he, was, was he pious in, in the way that he went to the master's debtors and said to them, guess what, today's your lucky day. You get a 20% discount. Or today's your lucky day, you get a 50% discount. Because I can tell you, for me, it's easy for me to be generous with your money. <laughs> True. Yeah. Is my money a little different? Yeah. And you know, so where I think the tension is for me is I think the tension is in the beginning of the parable. I think that that's the kingdom dynamic, and I think we need to be careful when we interpret parables. You know, there's, there's a saying that the devil's in the details. And sometimes we can say, well, this seed means this, and this, th this pearl means this, and, and uh, this dragnet means this. And I think sometimes what we have to do is we have to back up and say, what's the main point? And to me, it's Jesus on any given day, if you were to follow him around his teaching and preaching circuit, on any given day, you would hear Jesus say, repent for the kingdom of heaven's at hand. Um, Fifty times alone in Matthew's gospel. And not that anybody's counting, but that's 1.78 times per chapter. <laughs> That you would hear, I, I love, I love minutia, guys. <laughs> but I can just tell you what I'm saying is on any given day, I think that you could hear Jesus say the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. And to me, the tension in this parable is the fact that the manager, he's fired. He has a short window of opportunity to act. And he makes a decision. And I think that's the tension what draws the hearers. Because remember, this is an oral culture. They didn't have Bibles. Jesus didn't say, open up your Bible to Luke 13 or Luke 16. I'm going to teach you a parable. It was an oral culture. They had to hear and be, they were drawn into that parable. And I think what they're drawn into the parable about is there's a crisis. Mm-hmm. So when somebody comes at the, 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 the narrative here and they say, well, it, it must be okay to do something that's unethical, in terms of, of biblical interpretation, application to your own life, how do, you know, how do you know that's wrong? Well, and I think it's so important to go back to the Greek context if you can. 
Because like I said, shrewd in our definition is very bad and dishonest. And I would kind of say, reading through this and reading through some commentaries, he was maybe fired for being dishonest. And then he came back and started being careful and acting shrewd in the good sense of the word, and he's commended for it, right? The rich man commends him for being shrewd. And then Jesus tells us to act shrewdly in how we deal with the resources he entrusts with us later mm -hmm. in the parable. Yeah, and I think that for me, for me, as I address the tension that's there, I think, okay, there are obvious scriptures, right, in other places that tell you that we should behave with integrity, right? right? We, should, we should behave with honesty. We, sh we shouldn't lie to one another. We shouldn't. I mean, you just go back to the Ten Commandments. So there's a direct contradiction in obvious passages, right, of scripture in other places to the narrative portion of the parable. So that's when I think sometimes you just got to, you got to press in a little more, right? Yeah, you, you do, but you also have to look at it and say, you know what, is this principle that is being taught here, is this specific behavior that is being taught here, is it consistent with the teachings of Jesus throughout the entire corpus of Scripture? And I think that if it is, then we have something that we can, you know, apply to ourselves. But if it's inconsistent, we have to step back and say, wait a minute. If it's not consistent with the teachings of Jesus throughout the Gospels, throughout the New Testament, throughout the Old Testament, then maybe he's using exaggeration for effect. Mm -hmm. And so, so really, I think the point of the parable, the tension in that parable is, as Beth said, in verse 8, the fictitious manager, and by the way, Jesus never inserts himself into this parable, never. That's not him speaking in verse 8. It's the fictitious manager, and the fictitious manager, Beth is right on point, commends the steward for acting shrewdly, doesn't commend his behavior. Mm -hmm. I think we could debate till the cows come home, Southern Ohio expression, as to whether or not, again, was the act pious or was it selfish? Right. But I think the main point early on in the parable is fire, house is on fire, you're out of work, choice to make, and you made choice. When I worked for Columbia Gas, 30 years. By the way, if you have trouble with Columbia Gas, just call <laughs> Jeff. He'll get it fixed. When I worked for Columbia Gas for 30 years, I remember one time we had a line break and we had a tremendous fire and I was a supervisor and been a supervisor for just 28 days. And we come upon this accidental ignition of gas. Our line pulled apart. We have this, we have this um, spark and we have this 35-foot fire in front of this little ramshackle house between Chesapeake and Proctorville. And I got a decision to make. Do I put the fire out? or do I let the fire burn? Now, the people weren't in the home, okay? There's this little shack, fire's getting close to it, and seriously, it's like, do I let it burn down and let our insurance people just deal with it and give, they, they come away with a better home than they had than what they were currently living in? Or do I put the fire out? And so I made a decision. I put the fire out. But now gas is going all throughout the atmosphere, all up and down the river. 
a month later during the debrief, everybody was just tearing me apart about the decision I made. Was it right or was it wrong? Should he put the fire out? Should he, let, should, should he not put the fire out? And the district manager finally slaps his hand down on the table and he said, that's not the right question. The question isn't about whether he should put out the fire or leave the fire burn. The question was, is can he make a decision in crises or is he going to freeze with inactivity? And to me, that's the tension of the parable, and that's what drew the disciples of Jesus into the story. That's what drew the Pharisees into the story, who it says later that, you know, they're lovers of money, and they're making fun of Jesus teaching about the kingdom of God as opposed to Caesar's kingdom. Mm -hmm. And I think the point of the parable is, are you going to make a decision in crises or are you going to freeze? Mm -hmm. And the manager slammed his hand down on the table and said, at least the young man will make a decision. Mm. And I think that's the point of the parable, and I think what we can do is debate. So you've got the, the idea you're saying, you guys are speaking to come from the story. You've got a short window of time. Mm -hmm. You've got to act shrewdly. Yeah. Right? That's it. Because there are other places, to, to speak to what you said, there are other places where Jesus says other things that would obviously contradict that, probably like 1.657 times per gospel or something like that, that Jesus says things like that, right? Okay, so then you get to the second half, and here comes the application, right? Here's Jesus, he's told the story, now here comes the application, verse 9. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Mm -hmm. All right, so that's Jesus's interpretation. He's landing the plane right on a, on a single point. So how do you get from narrative to the point? Well, I would say a couple applications for me in this story is that God owns it all, right? I mean, we need to be shrewd in the way we manage what God entrusts to us. Shrewd in the Greek sense of the word, you know, being acting with great practical intelligence with what God entrusts to us. And then another thing, another application point that I take from this, my husband Luke and I talk about this a lot, is that money is a tool that God entrusts to us to further his kingdom, which is what Jesus is saying. Use money as a tool to further my kingdom and not your own. Mm -hmm. And I would also add something that Jeff and I have talked a lot about this week. When we come up against these difficult parables that are hard to interpret, like Luke 16 and there's many others, I always mentally go to the end of John 6, which you can look at later. Actually, a verse of it is on the YouVersion Bible app today, the verse of the day. And Jesus, it says, is teaching a very hard lesson so hard that some of his disciples actually turn away and no longer follow him. And he looks to the 12, 
And he says, are you gonna leave me too? Is this too hard for you? Is this lesson too hard? Do you not understand? And Peter looks at Jesus and he says, Lord, where else are we gonna go? You have the words of eternal life. And I cannot tell you how much I love those verses because I think no matter if we're wrestling in our faith, if we're confused by things in the Bible, I mean, we had that eschatology bridge group this winter and man, did we wrestle with really hard verses in the book of Revelation. I mean, Paul Yoder can attest to that wherever he is. I mean, we debated and wrestled and talked, and, but we didn't give up. I think we kept working with the text. Mm -hmm. And that's the biggest point. I think for me in my life, I think when I am struggling in my faith or I'm struggling in my, in my circumstances, I think sometimes doubting, questioning, wrestling are bad things but actually it's a form of seeking God. Mm -hmm. That was a revelation to me this week. And you look throughout scripture, that's consistent throughout scripture. Job wrestles with God, mm -hmm. questions God. Jacob literally wrestles with God, right? David and the disciples. I mean, the disciples throughout the gospels are very confused by these 34 parables because Jesus is only explaining 10% of them. Mm -hmm. And that one parable, he says to the disciples, why are you so dull? Right. You can't understand, right? right? But pushing through when we feel like we're up against things that we just do not understand, things that rattle our faith even. Yeah. Yeah, before Jeff, before you comment on the, the point, some of you all um, know and some of you don't. So Jeff was my student pastor growing up uh, in Southern Ohio. Uh, he's much older uh, than I am. Um, and so all throughout student ministry, he would, he made me, play the dumb game, made fun of me, made me the butt of the jokes. And so he's on pins and needles and I love it. <laughs> it's my chance. So, so I think for, I'm playing Jeopardy, I'm giving you the answer before you ask the question. Um, I feel like for, when it comes to application, I have to make sure again that I'm not going to the Bible and I don't care if it's a parable or if it's any teaching in the Bible with that what's in it for me approach and if I step back and I say what did this text say to the original audience who was the audience who's Jesus speaking to who's not speaking in the story why aren't they speaking in the story what does this story have to do about the kingdom and Jesus teaching on the kingdom and once I get the interpretation right, Dean, I believe that I can then, and I'm safe then to go to application. So to me, the interpretation, this parable is, you have a crisis and are you gonna act? In other words, y'all's house is on fire. Mm -hmm. You got a limited opportunity. Mm -hmm. You're gonna do something. I think that what the application for me is, is, you know, it makes me step back and say, what kingdom opportunities am I squandering? Because the steward in the parable was guilty of squandering the master's resources, mm -hmm. and he was called to account. So I think that, yeah, the kingdom of God is going to be awesome, but there's also a judgment component to it. And we need to act one way or the other when it comes to that, when you take it serious. And so I think for, for me, it's like, what kingdom resources am I squandering? Am I squandering any kingdom resources? Um, and, you know, and then the, the other one for me is, 
when it comes to my daily interaction with others. Whether or not the steward used these two examples to cover his own backside or whether he was offering them compassion because he had a Zacchaeus conversion moment, I don't know. But the application for me is, you know, am I using, in my daily interaction, am I using people as objects that I can merely get what I want out of them? Am I dehumanizing them as just resources and not seeing them as the genuine humans that they are? Yeah, that's great. That's great. So I mentioned this earlier, but I want to just say it again just to be clear. So Jeff and Beth represent part of our, what, we're called, what we call our core team. So we have a launch pathway for uh, different, what we would call classes or orientation opportunities for you to get connected to our church. So as they and the fuller core team teach our core class, you can go and learn about our basic uh, theological foundations here at LifePoint. The next opportunity for core is coming up um, on Sunday morning on August the 21st. So you can find that on the LifePoint app. You can sign up for it this fall. We've got, um, if you've been through Core 1.0, we've got a version of Core 2.0 coming up later this fall. Um, so you can keep an eye out um, for that. But I love it that God has blessed our church with people um, who have, uh, both Jeff and Beth have been to seminary, got some seminary training, and they take the opportunity uh, to really help us build some anchors um, around our faith and allow, um, allow anyone who comes to that class uh, to ask uh, to ask questions. So thank you guys for joining me today and just talking a little bit about interpretation and parable. So um, I'll wrap up the idea. So Jesus lands the parable on this phrase, you cannot serve both God and money, right? The idea that he mentions, you cannot have two Masters. If you've ever been in a situation where um, you've had two bosses, it's, it's not, it just doesn't work. It's not possible, right? Because what happens when the two is, so either you're going to, God's the boss and money is going to serve him, or money's the boss and you're going to try and get God to wrap uh, what he, his agenda is around that in your life. That's kind of where the parable, um, that's kind of where it comes down to, where it lands. So um, for us today, um, it really kind of fits a little bit of the context um, of where, uh, where we are as a church. So um, kind of the, um, kind of the eh kind of moment is that we find ourselves about six months into this year and here at the Lewis Center campus, we're about $80,000 or so behind in budgeted giving for the year. And you're like, man, Dean, that's kind of a meh, right? Ah. Let me tell you the good news about that is that um, I asked Martha, our financial director, to, to kind of do some looking into that. And we have 26 different opportunities this year where families who were here a year ago have given to other campuses. So we have sent people to Marion. We've sent people to Plain City. We have people who have um, decided to move and move to Radnor or somewhere like that. So now they're attending the Delaware campus. And so over half of that is represented at our other campuses in their giving and in their budgets. But as we raise people up here at our church and as we send them out, 
just like we have to do on our teams, just like we have to do on our LifePoint Kids team, just like we have to do on our Connections team. We also have to raise people up in the area of generosity, that God has given us resources. We don't own them, just like you heard Beth and, and Jeff say. We're stewards of the resources that God has placed in our hands. What does that mean? That means here we have all of the resources um, that we need to accomplish anything and everything that God wants us to do. And I'm grateful, I'm grateful, I'm grateful um, for God's activity. Um, we have 100 students who are getting ready to go to student camp. Middle school and high school students who are getting ready to go to student camp. We took a big group of students to Centric Kid Camp. We baptized some of them over the past, um, over the past couple of weeks. As a matter of fact, we've baptized more people this year, uh, year to date, than we have in any other year um, in our history. Uh, just recently. Yeah, you can clap for that. That's all good news. Um, I was at a restaurant um, catching some lunch recently, and um, somebody came up to me and said, hey, you haven't met me yet. We've just been coming to the church um, for a while, but I want you to know I just read through the Gospel of Luke, the first book of the Bible that I've ever read through. I had somebody else come up to me recently and say, my wife and I, we read through the Gospel of Luke. First time we've ever read through um, a book of the Bible uh, and done that. Um, done that together. So God's actively moving, drawing people um, to himself, and I'm incredibly grateful, incredibly grateful for his activity. And generosity is the spiritual discipline that we use to fight greed, right? You cannot serve both God and money. And there's something inside of you, and there's something inside of me that is human nature, right? that wants to ask the question about our resources this way. How can I make sure that I'm gonna go to heaven and give away as little as possible? Do you feel that tension? It's a real tension that we all, that we all struggle with and deal with. The problem is that later on, if you, if you play to the tension, your insecurity becomes, did I, did I do well enough with my, with my finest? Je Jesus' point in the story is that you can invest eternally. He says in the application of the parable that we, that we read, you should gain friends of worldly wealth so that what, when eternity comes, you will be welcomed. You and I have the opportunity to use God's resources, the resources that he has placed under our stewardship. We have the opportunity to give in such a way that we will meet people in eternity who will be there, whose lives will be different because you gave. People that you don't know here, people that you'll never meet here will greet you in eternity and they will thank you because of the way that you invested your resources here in the kingdom. And you bless our church so our church is able to bless others. So you're gonna meet people from Malawi and Uganda and Indonesia and Cuba. And you're gonna, you're gonna meet people from Jamaica and all over the world, including here locally because you are willing to use and invest the resources that God has given you. So 
Um, I, I hope, I want you to hear me say, I hope this is not um, a downer to you, not intended to be. It's reality. It's, it's where we are. I'll say, um, I'll say to those of you who are regularly giving, tithing, you're generous with your resources, man, we are so, so grateful for you. If you're here today and you're a guest, this is not some sort of squeeze play, right? If today's your first day, right, to get you to, to that, that's not. But if you're a regular attender and, or, or a member and you're not engaging in living generously, why not? God's given you those resources to steward for the sake of the kingdom. I've never met a person in almost 30 years of ministry, I've never met a person who got towards the end of their life and said, man, I, reg I regret that I gave so much. I regret the resources. But I have, I have met people who wished that they had done more, people who wished that they had been more faithful uh, to God's word in a variety of areas um, in their life. Jesus sacrificed, right? Jesus left heaven, came to earth, died on a cross, paid for our sins to restore us to the image that God has put in us. And what is that image? Part of it is that we would become the kinds of generous people that God wants us to be. So as we do that, we reflect, we reflect his image. It's what brings him glory. And as hard as it is to believe, it's what brings us joy. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the blessing of it. Thank you for how it sharpens us. Um, God, for, for how it, uh, it, it shapes us, it changes us. And um, Lord, we think about all of the good things that you give us. And God, we are grateful for the opportunity to, uh, to give, to give back joyfully, to be sacrificial in the ways that we serve other people. Uh, the way that we look at the world, God, to try and see it with your eyes and your heart uh, instead of our own. God, I pray that you'll make us shrewd people. Help us to see that our lives, God, it's just a short window of time that we have. Help us to live our lives for your sake. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, listen, maybe today um, God has spoken to you about taking the step of faith, of seeing that image of God restored in you, of coming to faith in Christ. We would love to help you, talk with you about that decision uh, to follow him. Um, if when you exit today, you'll exit over your right shoulder, you'll see a door there that says next steps. Our next steps team is there. They have gray t-shirts on. Uh, they're fully available uh, to you to help you, to pray with you. Um, to talk to you, engage you in a discussion about going public with your faith through baptism, um, if you'll stop there on your way out today. Again, if you're our guest, we're so grateful that you're here, that you've spent um, the 4th of July weekend with us. And the only thing we would ask for before you leave is if you'll take out your smartphone, um, point it at the QR code on one of the chairs that's in front of you, or type in lpguest.com, enter your URL, take you less than a minute to fill out um, to fill out that uh, digital guest card. There are five ministries that are listed there. If you'll choose one, we'll make an extra $5 donation to that partner in your honor just to give you the opportunity to do something good and kind 
uh, by being here today. And again, for those of you um, who, uh, who are regular attenders and members, we're super grateful for the ways that you are giving and for your generosity. And it allows us to help invest in the next generation to be difference makers. Recently, our 1825 uh, ministry, 18 to 25 year olds, took a mission trip to support one of our church plants over in Pittsburgh. They were able to share the gospel um, through uh, solarium, through music. I'll show you a picture of the team who went. And these are just opportunities we, we have to put, um, to put the, the church, um, to put the kingdom attitude into the next generation that we're gonna hand, uh, that we're gonna hand leadership off to completely thoroughly at some point. So grateful for the ways that you do that. If you would like to give your tithes and offerings today, you can do that by placing those in one of the um, offering boxes as you exit today, or you can give um, via the website, uh, text, or app. Um, last two things, remember we're gonna pack a bus with backpacks. We talked about that last week. If you didn't get the details about that, there are cards available. We're partnering with um, the United Way to provide 2,000 backpacks for all of the students who have needs here in Delaware County that will be packed with school supplies. So you can pick one of those cards up at Guest Central. And you got a card when you walked in today about starting point. That's kind of step number one. And what I mentioned was the launch pathway. That's next Sunday. So take that card, shoot the QR code, you get all the details. Um, if you, uh, you want to come and be part of Starting Point next Sunday morning, we'd love to have you and have you there. Happy fourth weekend to you. Thanks for being here today. Hope you'll come back next Sunday as we jump into what I believe is um, the, probably the most known taught parable uh, in Luke chapter 15. God bless. <laughs>